In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mass shootings are, for the most part, an American phenomenon. This is a complex issue, and it is difficult to remove emotions and personal beliefs as we work towards solutions. But we have to understand how the perpetrator's mental state contributes to committing these horrible acts. On today's podcast, we discuss mass shootings in America. April 3rd, 2022. Sacramento, California, six killed, 12 injured. April 3rd, 2022, Dallas, Texas, one killed, 16 injured. April 10th, 2022, Brooklyn, New York, 10 injured. April 10th, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, two killed, 10 injured. May 14th, 2022, Buffalo, New York, 10 killed and three injured. May 24th, 2022, Yovaldi, Texas, 22 killed, 17 injured. And now, June 1st, 2022, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 4 killed. Mm. Kind of a scary way to start off a discussion. But mass shootings are probably, for the most part, an American phenomenon. And I just pulled those seven out of a list of very many that have occurred here in the United States over the last two months. And I know we have a a global listener base that probably have an idea of what happens here, uh, but are probably only aware of those instances that make national or global news. So in preparation for today's discussion, I started just doing some research to look into numbers. I want to understand prevalence, who, why, who's working on solutions and To be honest with you, um, I was confused by a lot of the data that's out there. And anyone who's independently doing research may find conflicting numbers uh, because there's different definitions of what constitutes a mass shooting. So personally, I feel like a lot of it does go unreported. So for the purpose of today's discussion, I pulled data from the Gun Violence Archive. Because if we are going to have a discussion about mass shootings and mental health, we should be looking at that act of aggression as a data point, Uh, not just the perpetrator's ability to succeed on his ability to carry out a killing of a mass of people. So mass shootings are different from mass killings. Many people report data and they say mass shootings, but it's really just mass murders. Right. So the, um, the gun violence archives definition for a mass shooting is a minimum of four victims shot, either injured or killed, not including any shooter who may also have been killed or injured in the incident. So they remove the shooter from that number. So in 2014, There were 269 mass shooting incidents in the United States. 
in 2021, there were 692 mass shooting incidents. It's an increase of 157% in just seven years. So as of June 1st, and today is June 4th, uh, there have been 233 mass shooting incidents in the United States with 260 people killed and over 1,000 injured. What we do know is that mass shootings happen in places where a lot of people congregate, churches, grocery stores, and unfortunately, schools. Right. So, Roger, you are a psychologist. Kelly, you are a school teacher. Kelly, I just I want to hear what you're thinking right now. Anytime it happens and you see it all over the media, um, there's kind of this quiet, you know, anxiety that people face when you're walking in the building. And um, especially here at the end of the year, you know, with kids, a lot of kids struggling with their own mental health. I'll tell you what, it's it's on everybody's mind um, all day. Uh, you have, sometimes you have lockdowns yeah. where maybe students fight and you have to call a lockdown. Then um, people were on edge. And anytime that this happens, it, it really does put teachers into a spot where is this the day that this is going to happen? And you have to be prepared for it. But yeah, it, it, it causes great tension and anxiety. Was there ever such thing as a lockdown when we were in high school? <sighs> Not I, that I recall. I don't think so. And we've talked about Columbine on here. What, what year did we say that was? 1998, 99? I believe, yeah. Yeah. And a, a lot has changed since then. What was the first year you were a teacher? Uh, the first year of student teaching, I believe, was 98 and, and 99. So, so you've witnessed. So when I was when I was in 1999, mm -hmm. that would have been my the first year that I would have been hired. And when Columbine happened, that was very and teachers were very upset. And we talked about how the trend. I think it was the trench coats, right? Trench and coat mafia. Specific things that mm -hmm. those those two individuals um, were doing. And so I I just remember we then we went through broad training for years, several years, and that's when you started to have lockdowns. You have these applications now on phones that are, you know, safe schools, things like that, where you trigger the alarm and everybody will know it. And then you're trained to obviously lock your door and you are trained to get the kids into a safe space away from windows. And you are trained then to hide and, but at all costs fight if need be. Right. Um, yeah. So some of the training can be pretty intense. We've had, we've had active shooter training with police. Jesus. Um, and so they had, um, airsoft guns, you know, just, you heard the guns. Uh, so yeah. Um, are we prepared? Is anybody ever prepared? I, I would say no, you know, mm -hmm. but I think we've headed into a direction where training is our school is very good with the doors are locked. Everything is completely locked. Um, cameras everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, but unfortunately I think for some other places, they, they don't necessarily have that technology. Roger. Well, I'm sitting here reflecting on what I'm feeling. I got a ton of mixed emotions and they range from, you know, feeling heartbroken to anxious to angry. My daughter, this was her last, her last week of high school and she spent her last full day in high school in lockdowns. So it's, it's not, it's not just the, the impact of, of the loss. It's the, it's the mass fear that's created and all the steps that have to be taken that restrict uh, people from living lives just freely. 
I think the anger that I, that I feel is that we don't know a lot. You know, we sit here on this podcast today and my question is what drives somebody to do such a thing? Mm -hmm. And you cannot get away from the politicic, the, the political debate that's driven down our throats regarding gun access. And they make it a gun issue here in the United States, which ultimately becomes divisive because you're talking about a second amendment freedom and the overwhelming majority of people are, um, who are gun owners are, are safe and, um, they're scared and those rights are for them to protect themselves. And so it's going to, on that side, it's going to just generate an, an, an intense anger towards anyone who would want to strip them of that, of that freedom. But what makes me angry is it takes us away from what the legitimate questions are. Mm -hmm. What the hell is going on in our culture that would drive somebody to want to kill innocent people? And as a psychologist, it's that curiosity that drives us to better understand who these people are and why this happens within the individual, within society. And we don't have those, we don't have answers to those questions. Mm -mm. And in the 1970s in the United States, there was a rash of uh, serial killers. There's, a, there's been a lot of like Netflix specials about it. Mindhunter. Mindhunter is one of them. It, what happened is there was such an effort on the federal government that they developed a behavioral science unit mm -hmm. where they were getting so much in information on these, these serial killers that they were able to develop patterns. And they understood a lot of factors within the psychological makeup of the serial killer. And what they called like copycat murders, that role of like social contagion mm -hmm. or the identification of a certain personality type combined with that actual uh, desire to actually be in the, in the media too, like to get attention for what you were doing. And there's no doubt that the world's a dangerous place and that there are dangerous people that exist. And I refuse to, to, to live in this naive reality, you know, that suggests that taking away or restricting guns from, from those who are law-abiding citizens in any way decreases the prevalence rate of this. There are cultural factors and there are other factors that exist that would lead somebody to do that. And we can't, we can't in any way thwart the, the, the debate on that. Who are these people? You know, who would want to, to kill children? What is going on within them? Because, you know, there's, that's not normal. That's, I mean, I don't, yeah. this, is a, this is a podcast that I did zero preparation for, <laughs> right? Like I didn't read one thing about it and Sean did a lot of work on this. No, I wouldn't say a lot of work. I mean, I'll tell you what, it, it's depressing. And for the last two days, I've been reading stuff and it just drains you because you're just so tired of it. You're just like, it's annoying um, that it still happens. And then you start asking the questions like, all right, why here? Why? I mean, it happens in other countries, but nowhere near uh, the prevalence that it happens here. 
and just I mean the United States as a whole, we just we have an enormous amount of gun related homicides. And this is not a conversation about gun control. This is a conversation about the mental state of of individuals that would go and 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 want to kill a mass of people and probably most likely themselves. Um, the only thing that I stumbled upon in terms of motivations is there seems to be a trend or some commonalities that um, when they go out to seek a mass killing, it's usually for three reasons. Three reasons: one, it's revenge or envy; two, it's adoption of some extremist beliefs. How do we know this? There, because most of them are dead. There, there are well, be, because they leave a trail. Um, on social media, on social media, um, they they generally plan out their attack months or even years in advance, which means it's premeditated. It's not an uh, a moment of of rage or like a, a general murder could happen when somebody just gets so overwhelmed and in that moment they go and do something and they're like, I don't even know what happened. In these situations, it, it's been more um, premeditated. Um, and then social isolation is the other one. Now, when it comes to like research, you're right. There is a there is a very um, there has not been a lot in this area when it comes to funding for research. Doesn't, this this is one area that's lacking. Doesn't there's, that concern you? It does. And there's one person who's a psychologist. I think it's um, uh, Michigan or Michigan State, Dr. Mark Zimmerman, who has been you know working on this and and trying to find some solutions around it uh, for quite some time and. Um, and they're all speaking out now that you can't come up with a solution if you don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, and don't give me this funding stuff. We're, we're sitting here today where we are sending billions of dollars to arm Ukraine citizens. <laughs> and we don't have enough money to fund a full-out effort in behavioral we science. We have the money. It's just not allocated. Why is that? Politics. Yeah. Well, because uh, it ties into... Um, because it does tie into gun control. And it ties it, into the because they, Constitution. They do want to remove, they do want to remove the, the right to defend yourself in this country. Absolutely. So the, you, you automatically step back. And when a country does not have a full-out effort in order to make changes here, it, you understand that it's political because somebody benefits from the violence. And we're not even talking about what happens in our cities. There's mass shootings every day in our cities. Well, that's those numbers are reported in the uh, the gun violence okay. archive because under their definition, um, those numbers should be included. But we have a tendency to say, "Oh, that's not a mass shooting; that's gang related." Yeah, and but that is a mass shooting. It's a mass <laughs> it's, shooting. It's a mass shooting that will get no no uh, press, no media. Yep, no major media attention. We'll talk about uh, this school shooting for months. Yep. And it's all politicized. Yeah. And I, we just want to know what are solutions. We don't know who these people are. We know how to, how to protect our children. We need to know the signs in order to stop it ahead of time. How, how do schools respond? How do mental health professionals respond? Like we need to get all this information. What's crazy about all of this is it seems like all of these, they're, they're so horrific, but they're almost predictable. Like they, the, the type of individual, right? The, right. It's all predictable. So Again, what, what, what are we doing to confront that, right? So, so you guys touched on leaking, which I, is... I think, yeah. I, inter I think I stopped you, unfortunately. You were saying something that was really important. You were giving the reasons, you know, why. Those are the three common motivations, revenge or envy, adoption of extremist beliefs, and social isolation. So when we talk about this 
kind of significant rise we've seen over just the last two years um, with a 157% increase since 2014 with 692 mass shootings in 2021. Social isolation has to play a role in it. These are, these are generally people who are, um, who are not, who don't feel connected to a community or part of a group. Yeah. Many of them were maybe bullied or ostracized and they grew up feeling different. And I want to know some important data on, did they receive mental health treatment? I was digging for that. And to be honest with you, there's very little um, information uh, in that area. When um, there's one resource, the Violence Project, yeah. which seems to be uh, a pretty good resource. I, I kind of encourage everybody to go and read that. There's, um, I think her name is Jillian Peterson, who's been pretty outspoken in the news media. Um, so the Violence Violence Project found that more than 80% of mass shooters were in a noticeable crisis prior to their shooting, with more than two-thirds experiencing increased agitation and 40% with abusive behavior. All right, so stop stop right there. Yep. Okay, Sean, you and I had a very fascinating conversation this week. And it's going to this is an introduction to an interview that we are going to have on this podcast within the next few weeks. There has been an increase in, because I, I noticed that there's nothing in there about drug use that you reported, you know, in, in your data. Well, there's a lot of correlations. <laughs> yeah. But it's hard, it's, it's hard to find anything that's um, significant enough to, with, like, with certainty. Because, because, because drugs and alcohol usually play a role. Because we have a drug problem in the United States. And these are mind-altering drugs, whether they're prescription drugs or they're street drugs. Mm-hmm. Because... You have to be out of your mind to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I did a little bit of, of, of research initially, and we came across a, what I found to be a powerful paper, which is the number one downloaded paper um, on this pharmacogenomics uh, personal medicine uh, website, which is a journal, and it was called Antidepressant-Induced Akathisia-Related Homicides. And they're associated with diminishing mutations and metabolizing genes of the CYP450 family. So when you start, like, I want answers. I want to dig into answers. Who are these people? And um, who who did that? Uh, uh, Michael Moore? Uh, anyone see Bowling for Columbine? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch it, though. Okay. So, like, Michael Moore, even back when that, whenever that came out, brought up the uh, question. Listen, if... A high percentage of of these school shooters are on psychiatric drugs. If a high percentage of these of people who were committing these mass murders were on bath salts, I'd want to do investigation, mm-hmm. right? I'd want to do. He, he said that in the documentary. I don't know if that was the documentary. I saw in an interview where okay. he said this. All right, but because like these these kids, these young adults, these people who are committing these these horrific crimes are on drugs, and many of them are on psychiatric drugs, high percentage. We need to know the relationship between these drugs and suicide or homicide because Mm -hmm. these are homicidal, suicidal acts, right? Like most of the people you mentioned that want to die, but they do it in a way that they want to also take out other people, Yeah, people that they don't even know. And we came across this paper, and I had no idea why this paper wasn't widely known 
um, and publicized in the mainstream media because it's that important. They're, they identify um, a mutation of a metabolizing gene that would lead to suicide and homicide. And there are some horrific case studies within the paper where people who had no history of any violent behavior just went on an antidepressant after a kind of setback in life or a fear or worry maybe about their financial situation or going through a divorce and they murdered somebody. Sean and I met a father mm -hmm. who killed, strangled his own son, killed his own son. Yep. Um, it's, uh, it was an antidepressant induced akathisia homicide. Can you explain akathisia? So we talked about akathisia. Yeah. It's, um, one, it's, it's a horrific reaction to a drug of increased agitation, restlessness, but then there can be other associated effects for taking these drugs, including psychosis. And that's like what we have to, we have to be concerned about. And it's related. There's a percentage of the population that has this metabolizing gene that would lead, if you take this drug, you become homicidal or suicidal. You combine that with any type of like psychotic break. So imagine like you're experiencing the, um, you're experiencing some hearing voices that are telling you, you have to kill people or you have to kill this person, or you have to save the world by doing this because this is a psychotic act mm -hmm. in, in our mainstream media. They want to say this has nothing to do with mental illness. Well, if this isn't mentally ill, what is who makes this definition of mental illness? Who, de who defines mental illness? You know, you throw it around all the time. We can have a kid who's anxious about going to school and we can call them mentally ill. Right. But someone goes and shoots up a school and they're not mentally ill anymore? Who, who gets to distinguish this? Because that's mental illness to me. Someone who's anxious about school is normal. And I think that, that, that's, that is a narrative propagated by the media coverage of the incident. They stay away from that and they, f they focus on guns. They focus on guns. And then no questions are asked about, well, what about this individual? Because the agenda is, is gun control. Correct. And, and to be honest with you, it, it's not going to solve the problem. And especially here in the United States. Right now, there are 120 guns per 100 people. Mm -hmm. And the majority, mass shootings only account for 1% of gun-related violence or, or murders or deaths, basically. <laughs> I mean, we, we focus on these mass shooting events because emotionally... They are just so overwhelming that it's something we can all fixate on. And it scares the shit out of families who yeah. send their kids to schools. My wife was on a call with a bunch of her friends that were, you know, just totally anxious about sending their kids to school. And they were just kind of talking through this whole thing. And and my mind was, I was just, I was shaken about, about the whole thing. Because to be honest with you, I've almost become a little desensitized to it. I remember when, when Columbine happened and how that affected me. And now it's at the point where I'm just like, yeah, another one, another one, yeah. another one. And um, who's the, the basketball coach uh, for um, Golden State? Golden State. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, man, when he, he's been outspoken against uh, gun violence for a very long time. I think he lost his father to a, a gun-related uh, crime. Yeah, I mean, here, here's, here's the fantasy, right? And this is where government takes, con takes advantage of our fear. It's this idea that if there are government controls, we are all safe. You rely on government, you are, you are all safe. Well, guess what? Those politicians who are going to pass those laws, they're going to have bodyguards with semi-automatic weapons. 
It's only you who isn't going to have the semi-automatic weapon. Well, let's use this. Oh, Hold on a second. Okay. Okay. Because the idea that government can take something away to keep us safe is an absolute fantasy. Listen, we have open borders. Anyone who's going to want to get a gun is going to be able to get a gun from non-legal means. There's a black market. You restrict drugs. You say, hey, it's illegal to have drugs. There's going to be another market that flows in. So you're going, to, you're going to arm the people who want to mass kill, and you're going to take away the rights of the individual. What was that percentage? Less than 1% of, of uh, mass, shooting. mass shootings are, make up 1% of the gun-related deaths in the United States. Because, I mean, you have to think about suicides. Right. There's a lot of suicides. And this Uvalde, Texas, um, I believe that particular situation, if you were to do a, a semi-automatic ban, that wouldn't have solved the problem. No. Because that was not a, a semi-automatic. And most of these gun-related incidents, it's someone just taking it because it's already in the house or from a relative. It's not going out and seeking and purchasing. Yes, those those examples do happen. And I, I truly do believe that there needs to be some uh, a more controlled uh, way of securing firearms where there is a background check, not just you can get it within uh, 24 hours or three days or whatever it is. Maybe that may, now you said that it's premeditated. A lot of these are premeditated, yep. right? Um, there are, are already laws on the, on the books that don't allow criminals and people who, are in the, who have major mental health diagnosis to get these guns anyway. There's like red flag uh, laws, but it's only on like... They're talking about... 23 states. They're talking like. about banning certain assault rifles and things like this, as if that's going to solve the problem. You look at the violence. A lot of, a lot of those numbers comes from violence in our inner cities. Those aren't legally obtained drugs, or uh, legal, legally obtained firearms. Um, so it, it's just, it, it's a, again, it's a distraction from what is really important. What is going on within the individual? What's going on in our culture and society? So we can talk about the, the mass shootings or the drug-related violence in our inner cities is a result of poverty and the drug trade. And there's a drug war that is waged in our, in our cities every single day. And so that doesn't get the information the, the school shootings are extremely rare. You know, you, you are much more likely to um, die in a fatal car accident driving to school than having your, you know, your kid die. But they'll sensationalize that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's still a problem. It's not minimizing the problem at all. It's serious. We won't understand it. But that's the role of, of fear. They're going to provoke that fear. And I just look at what are you, what are you doing about it? Where, where is our funding? Where's the information going into to understanding these individuals? Why don't we have the... Um, if we have identified genes that could lead you to be suicidal or homicidal, why isn't, that a, why isn't there a test that's provided before that prescription? A simple blood test would be able to do it before you would be on antidepressants. Is it a blood it, test? It, what did he say? It was a cheek swab. It's but a cheek I'm sure swab. Okay. There's other tests that are blood or tissue samples. Um, it's not the it's not the gene that makes you. It's when you're medicated, then you can have a psychotic episode. Right, but yeah. it's how it's how it's metabolized. Yes, if correct. you have that, um, if you have that gene, a mutation of that gene, correct, you can't take these drugs. You'll become homicidal or suicidal. Yeah, but I, I think we'll go into it when, when we interview um, the the gentleman who who wrote the paper and and also the 
the father. Um, you ultimately come down to to one answer to all that. Like, if you ask the question, well, why aren't these tests being done for everyone who's prescribed the drugs? It's money. They don't want. They don't want to. They don't want limits. They don't want to decrease at least seven, potentially seven percent of their customer base, and um, expose themselves to potential lawsuits for <laughs> for knowing this and not doing anything about it. And I, I get really upset at people's information when it's only based on mainstream media. And unfortunately, that's almost everybody. Yeah. So how they understand or think about a very complex issue is limited to what they're being told about it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully podcasts become more of the, the mainstream way to get news where experts, you can hear, you can hear from experts and like we have to, in my opinion, the major news networks of the United States have to go out of business. And then we have to go back to responsible journalism. Those mainstream news networks are owned by companies and they have financial conflicts of interest. We don't have any financial conflicts of interest. We don't even get paid for doing this. We only care about the search for truth. And that is the ethics of journalism. And that's what's lost in the United States. No, you're no longer reading, okay, we're doing some really investigative work and understanding all the variables or factors that have led to mass shootings. We've talked to ex this expert. We've read this paper. It's taken us down a rabbit hole right here to get to this person. And then you ultimately, you'll, you'll come to some of these things. Boy, there's, we, have a, we have a drug problem. We have a culture problem. And it's being masked as a uh, gun problem. Mm -hmm. So the one thing I was able to find about the um, some of the reasons that go behind a mass shooting. Um, Thirty percent are domestic relationship issues. Twenty three percent employment issues. Twenty percent interpersonal conflict. Hate is nineteen percent. Psychosis is nineteen percent. Uh, legal issues and then fame seeking is is at the bottom. I think people have a tendency to say fame seeking because that's more. Um, I don't know, maybe it gets the, the headlines attention. Well, let's focus on copycat stuff on that. I, I do think that there is something to be said about infamy. And when these shootings happen, sometimes they happen in a cluster, which means they're seeing this all over the news. They're, sometimes the news is putting pictures of this shooter, um, giving them some weird, you know, credit, like as if they're you know, but what, what I'm, if you are watching that and you are one of those individuals, you're seeing that infamy. Mm -hmm. You're seeing that person, that, pow that power that that person had at the time that they did it. And so if you are then thinking about doing something, well, media is partially to blame here, right? So maybe yeah. what you're saying is that someone feels like they are forgotten in society. Right. They've got no value or no importance. And then this is an opportunity to go out in the blaze of glory. That, yeah, that absolutely. Is, that is something that um, that I did read about. These are suicidal people that um, are done. They've given up, and they're just taking others with them. The other thing is that there's a thin line between fantasy and reality, and we have this this internet based culture, this video game culture. There's a lot of people who escape reality into an alternative reality, and the violence of video games and how real they are with with today's technology i mean i'm not into video games at all but i just remember you know working in the middle school and how many kids were playing like halo and grand theft auto yeah mm -hmm. i mean there is there is a violent aggression yeah. and domination that exists and we're talking about american culture 
Yeah, I just got finished watching 1883. Incredible. Good it's on Paramount. It's the prequel to Yellowstone. And it's the it's just taking the a family of of settlers uh going on the frontier. Mm-hmm. And you see the risks that they were taking in order to have a better life. And there's some things that are just uniquely American in the United States that I don't think uh, internationally maybe people really understand uh, about a nation of, of immigrants and risk-taking. And so they're, we're a large country, very, very large. So people sometimes ask, well, why don't they have the, these kind of sh- shootings or this cultural division in like Sweden, for example? Well, Sweden is like the size of New Jersey. So culturally, we have vast differences across a very large country. And some people hold, adopt and hold on to very strong beliefs that are generally generational, passed down. And it's this idea um, where simply I want to be the one who's responsible for my own fate. What, what I get and what I have in, for my family is based on on my hard work, my my ingenuity, and they're risk takers. Yep. And so this idea that that could be taken away by a government entity or somebody else will, will generate intense emotional reactions. And so people don't understand, well, why have guns, for example? Well, you're talking about you're talking about generational views on independence from government and the ability to protect your family and the ability to create a life for yourself independent of anyone else's control. So culturally, get away from the gun issue. Let's talk about how our system now has created a strong divide between the haves and the have-nots. The United States can have such, you, I think this is uniquely United States. You can go to a major city in the United States and see such affluence on one area and drive 20 minutes and it looks like a third world country. Yeah, I lived in that city, Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, well, Bal- I, I went to Towson and Baltimore was that way as well. The Inner Harbor, you know, at one point you're just like, it's amazing to be at and you walk about two blocks in the north you know, Boulevard and it's like, oh boy. And million dollar homes and Completely. then people in tents. Yeah. All in the same block. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think it, ju- it, it breeds a resentment and anger and because you're constantly, if you're living in, in poverty, you're, you're constantly sent images of what other people have. You just turn on the television and we're a culture that publicizes the rich and the famous. And so you're, you, you're, you're shown, this is what other people have. This is who they are. And this is who I am. And well, shame on us. We watch that stuff. We celebrate it. And we, um, we almost propagate it. This we, is there's the, more programs that come out because they're popular. This is the role of the antihero. I mean, if you, did you guys ever see the movie, that, uh, Just Joker? It came out a couple. Yeah. Of, oh, you know, yeah. It's a, it's a really good movie, right? Mm-hmm. Great movie. But if you talk about, like, we want to break down that movie, that is a failure of multiple systems. The education system, the mental health system, the, the, the welfare system, um, the jobs system. All systems failed for that particular anti-hero at the very end. What does he do? He goes on in notoriety, infamy, and, he, and obviously shoots the, 
you know, the talk show host and becomes instantly a hero to all of those individuals that you were just talking about, all of those individuals that feel slighted by society. He becomes the hero for doing such a horrible, you know, act of violence. I, do we believe that maybe some of these shooters are doing the same thing? If you're mentally unwell and that thin line between fantasy and, and reality gets crossed and you're on mind altering drugs, there's part of the profile that exists. So not everyone is going to breed aggressiveness and violence from being in those conditions. But many believe that the American dream is just that. It's a dream. It's sold to you. It's sold to you by politicians. It's sold to you by industry. It's sold to you by Hollywood. Because the, the chances of upward mobility are decreasing dramatically. It used to be this idea that you can work, go to school, public school system. You work hard. You, get to, you go to college and you graduate from college and you enter into the workforce and you work your way in a company and you're able to buy a home and you're able to establish some form of wealth for your family. And then the next generation has greater opportunities. But I think what we look at now is next generations in the United States have less than previous generations. The idea of going to college and that being a worthy investment is very clear that that's a fantasy for many. You're riddled with debt. The, the American college system for most people is not preparing you for a modern day workforce. So you're, you're seeing people come out of, out of colleges and they don't have the same opportunities or if they do have same opportunities, they don't make a wage that's enough to even pay for their own student debt that they accrued, let alone provide them the opportunities to, to be able to advance economically. Instead, they're riddled by debt. And just following the rules is not going to be able to create the lifestyle that they're telling you you can live. And not to mention that materialism in itself is not going to create the, the life that you want to have. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we have mental health-related problems. I mean, it's multiple. There's multiple reasons we have mental health. I'm getting, taking the word mental illness out of that, but mental health-related problems, depressed mood, anxiety, the fears, economic-related problems. You know, it's, it's, it's such a complex issue in the United States, and that's, that's why my anger about this being um, gun control Every psychologist that's working in this space all said what you just said. This is just a complex issue. There's so much more to it. The motivations that go behind one individual in a community are completely different than the motivations that go into another community. So to come up with a solution, it's not just one. It's very multifaceted. You have to identify the problems in each area and then work towards solutions. And that's what overwhelms people because it just seems like too much. So they go towards guns. And, and so we can go back to in what you just said about, it's almost like stories or narratives that we tell ourselves, go to school, go to college, succeed, right? There's one narrative. If an individual feels as if that narrative is, or that story is failing them, but somehow they, they go the opposite direction then, and they almost feel like they're going to self-make a, a character, Right. And they become this hero because they want to bring down that particular narrative, right? Right. 
I mean, what role do I think stories and narratives play a big role in all of this? Maybe we need to start looking at that. Like, I don't know how exactly, but I do. I think there's a lot of anger toward that narrative of just go to school, get good grades, go to college, succeed. There's not everybody's going to play that role of school well. It's a game, right? Yeah. And when they feel like they can't, and let's say now they're they are um, on psychotropic drugs or they're going through crisis or there's traumatic experiences in their life that right there would be to me a tinder that could burn into right something violent there's a diminishing middle class in the united states and then the the united states propelled itself as an, a national power in in industry and economics and freedom by a very large middle class because that's a middle class traditionally has been a high quality of life um you feel good about the the job that you have because I think you're contributing to society and you're taking care of your your family. You have the opportunities for vacation or and time off, and you generally live in safe neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is this economic divide. Um, there's greater wealth. I'm one percent um, of of the wealth in the United States is like, or ninety nine percent of the wealth in the United States is like held by less than one percent. And you're seeing an increase in 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 poverty, and what I mean by poverty, I I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about it like you you don't have a home to live in or you're you're in a shack and there's disease and things like that. But we're talking about challenges in being able to have enough money for quality food, and uh, the housing is in in dangerous neighborhoods, and then there's there's stress for people to be able to pay their bills and and so forth, and so a diminishing middle class is a is a real problem culturally. I would I would think. Mm-hmm. I've got a question, Roger. It's been on my mind. Is we we started talking about how these mass shooters leak their plans sometimes in advance, either through social media or by talking to friends. Um, most of the time, it's like relatives or other students. It's also therapists, too. and that's where I want to take this. I believe in a previous conversation when a client comes in and shares their thoughts, those are just thoughts and you have an obligation as a therapist to allow them to speak freely. At what point do you feel like it crosses the line in this area? Can you touch on that? Yeah. So you're talking about the, well, there's privacy and there's confidentiality laws when it Mm -hmm. comes into mental health, but those are limited. Those are limited to uh, anything that could relate to imminent risk or danger to yourself or to somebody else. So as a therapist or any doctor that there is a doctor patient privilege until there is any imminent risk or danger. Now, I I think the question you, you pose is, is a good one because are we good at predicting violence? Are we good at predicting suicide? We are not. We are, we, there is no predictive value. We're good at looking back <laughs> right. and then saying, how did you not catch this? And often the therapist gets blamed. Well, or they, the par- they, most of the time it's they, the they can be. I don't think people. School system gets blamed quite a bit. Yeah. I don't think people realize to the extent that people, that we deal with this in our communities every single day. There pro- there's probably not a day that goes by in our community where a kid has not been red flagged for saying something that uh, concerned their peers or our adults in their community. And then there has to be a quote-unquote evaluation. Mm-hmm. 
And then the kid says, no, I really wouldn't do it. I was just angry or something like that. Now, if they later go back and you find out that they did act out violently, well, if, if you trace the paper trail back, it exists that they said it once before. But everyone has rights in this country. It's not like you can lock somebody up for saying something. There has to be, there has to be some real clear intention to institute a court order to put them in a locked facility. Yeah. So it's very difficult. Again, this goes back to there's not enough research and data. What differentiates like one person who might say something impulsively, maybe that person's being bullied and they're just saying something out of emotion for someone who is clearly has a direct plan to end their lives or somebody else's. And that's where we don't have great predictive value. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how your role in this may evolve in the future is you're sitting down with clients you're having conversations but yet there's a whole another world out there in terms of what they might be sharing through social media or what they might be posting and a lot of it's public information are there any psychologists that dig into their clients social media to see how they're portraying themselves versus how they're saying things in session no because i don't think there first of all therapists don't see themselves as like a gatekeeper to the protection of society. Yeah. They're not investigative. But society may. If someone's erroneously, seeing a therapist. Erroneously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're there to help somebody. And um, one, we wouldn't have the time. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, Good I'd, point. <laughs> I'd also like question uh, somebody's interest in their personal lives in, in that way. It, mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's, it's crossing a boundary. It's a violation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably some ethics around it. I, I just never thought about going into the personal lives of my, my clients because, mm-hmm. God, I, I, I see them and I have my own life to go to. So you, who has the time for that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. But they are not gatekeepers to society. Um, they are providing mental health support and treatment. And listen, again, this is, this is rare. I don't think I've ever come across anyone in my entire career who killed anybody. Or harmed anybody in a violent way. I'm usually working with a percentage of the population what about suicides? that turns it on to themselves. Did you ever have any friends that committed suicide? Friends? Anybody you know? I had I had one person that I worked with uh, in their life. It was a very short amount of time that I that I worked with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just I was trying to motivate her into into treatment, and I I thought I had a a commitment to, to, to stay alive. And there was, and, and she provided me that had a history of multiple suicide at- attempts. And, uh, I think three or four, I mean, I think I met with this young lady three or four times and I got a call from their family that, you know, she ended her life in a, in a lethal manner. That was the only one. Um, but, I work with clients who talk about or think about suicide, you know, frequently mm-hmm. and I work with them every day. You know, I had a, a college friend and, and a roommate for one year that uh, committed suicide. He was brilliant. The probably the smartest guy in our entire group, you know, 4.0 GPA working for a, a consulting company. And when I was in uh, Los Angeles, heard stories that he had like a psychotic episode. who was starting a business with somebody and was down in South America, apparently meeting with clients. And, um, and this is apparently like none of those meetings like ever happened. And then when he came back was having severe anxiety, locking himself in rooms and then he uh, committed suicide. Um, 
and and he was he was on medications. I don't know what his situation was, mm. but that is a complete departure from who I knew him as. So um, um, immediately, if you did investigation, you want to you'd want to know what is the role of that a, a drug induced psychosis? Yeah, because there's no signs or symptoms of it, and the public, people who read this, or people who listen to this should understand that the drugs you take can induce homicidal or suicidal ideation. They can induce psychosis. And we're in support of informed consent. Most people who take these prescription drugs are not informed of the risks. And I think if we go back and, and we do a lot more case investigation, and some of the scientific papers are they're, they're out there, they're published, Again, that they're just kind of censored or protected from the mainstream. And you said this study that we'll be talking about on a future podcast was about seven percent, four to seven percent of, of individuals might have this. Gene. When I when I'm recalling, um, and I don't know if this was in his particular study or when I started looking into another report because I was trying to find something that kind of correlated what he had identified. Um, I saw anywhere from one to seven percent of the general population. But the one thing that really stood out to me, and I'm going to ask him this question is um, in the African-American population, it was uh, around 29%, which to me is just a staggering thing that needs to be investigated more closely, is that when it comes to the human body's ability to metabolize any type of drug, if there are when clinical trials and how um, any, any drug is being formulated, is it being formulated for a certain group of people that will be able to you know, process it and show benefits? Or are we looking at the entire population and, and making sure that we're looking to identify these issues? And as of right now, the informed consent, nobody would be telling a person before you go on this medication, there is an increase in likelihood of A, suicide and B, psychosis. I don't think that that's being, that's being told to most people. So this could be an, a fairly easy solution. I know in 1975, Pennsylvania passed the, the Child Protective Services Law, which essentially made us all mandatory reporters. I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. So as um, a teacher, yeah, if a kid, you know, it might be an essay, it could be a drawing, it could be anything. And they, they, now we're talking about leakage. Yeah. Because oftentimes leakage, well, leakage is the defined as these, these thoughts that an individual's having, and then it comes out through stories or perhaps an essay or perhaps conversation. Um, this is more geared toward physical abuse at home and you know sexual abuse and things like that. But um, all we would have to do to make one change would be get that study and, and all of a sudden we know that a kid is on this and they're also leaking this information, right? That could actually help and benefit our society in a, in a major way. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question I have is why, I know what the answer is going to be, it's going to be money, but Real, realistically, why isn't this something that as a solution versus gun control all the time that why aren't we talking about this? Yeah, we're talking about it. I'm consistently humbled by what we don't know. And, <laughs> and that's, I, that's one thing I hate about this job and what I'm doing <laughs> is it just keeps going down this wormhole of things. And I just keep asking more questions. And I'm just like, it's eye opening. What the hell? Yeah. I, it's the arrogance of the medical establishment in our, in our country. Whether it's when we were talking about COVID and the way that they were presenting scientific data to our, our kids or our family members who can walk right into primary care and get a prescription in 15 minutes. 
it's a it's a complete overvaluing of that drug and undervaluing the risks for it. And I know if I had that power to write up a prescription, I would see that as as something that could be potentially deadly. And I would sit down with every person I was about to write that prescription for and say, here are my concerns. Here's what you what needs to be observed. I want to follow up here. If any of this happens, call my office. And I would provide them statistics and data, and I would respect their right to choose. Instead, we have some of these things forced down people's throats. In the mental health community here in the United States, there are teenagers who will go in the hospital and be bullied by that psychiatrist as if that drug in itself is something curative and is necessary for them to be released from the hospital. Here's your medicine. You take your medicine and now you're going to feel better. When the overwhelming amount of data says it's much more likely that they're going to feel worse. And so we've gotten to that point. We've belabored this point, um, the impact of the, the marketing of the, these pharmaceutical drugs and then into the primary care centers and their role with doctors. But it's, it goes back to humility. You, we have to be humble in what we don't know. And we have to be driven to understand more. So um, I have one other question that I, I kind of wanted to lead it to. Um, when it comes to uh, potential solutions, we have a tendency to come up with some quick fix solutions. Um, one of the things that you said uh, to start off this conversation was about lockdowns in your daughter's school. Uh, when Sandy Hook came out uh, a couple years ago, there was um, something called Say Something, which was created, which was an anonymous reporting system. Really, now, anytime, really problematic. And, and let's touch on that. Can you just share what the experiences have been with your daughter and her school? Yeah, my daughter is a senior in a charter arts school. So it's a specific school for those who are in the arts. And over the past couple months, what they've been dealing with is somebody anonymously going onto that safe school website and threatening the school population or saying that there's a, there's, there's a bomb or somebody's going to come in and, and, and harm other people. And the school has immediately shut down and they have really been unable to educate. And because it's anonymous, it takes only one kid or a couple other kids potentially to say, I want to get out of school today um, and go on that website. And when, you, when you're asking community members or you're asking teenagers to be the ones to detect what might be a red flag, you're opening yourself up to a lot of false reporting or misrepresentation. And I think it's a burden that's placed on a community or on a child that they're not ready for and they don't have the capabilities for. And if we are going to say that it is a dangerous world and we do have people who are isolated and struggling, you're more likely to have people just get on that just to disrupt society. We have to have more effective means. Just anonymously reporting causes more problems, in my opinion. And I know my, my daughter was in tears. She came right here to our, to our practice just to, just to cry with my wife. And they, and they went out to, to lunch because she's really lost her so sophomore, junior, and senior year. 
It was the second half of the sophomore year. It's that, been stolen that, from her. That was lockdown. She's had no high school experience. Yeah. Junior year was the same way because of the pandemic, uh, isolated at home. And the senior senior year, it's been mask wearing. It's been days off because of COVID rates, or it's been lockdowns for mass shooting. And what we're doing to this generation is horrific. Um, you said one of your risk factors there, Sean, is isolation. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot more isolation in society than at any other point. It's driven by fear, you know, fear of a, of a virus, fear of violence, fear, um, fear of actually social rejection. We're becoming much more distant from each other. Um, and that's going to, that's going to increase the, the likelihood of, of, of violence and mental health conditions. So this leads us to back to what we began with. Um, we know that there's certain t- types of individuals we can kind of, the media propagates this. Um, there's fear all around our society and we still don't really have any solutions. So what are the solutions? Uh, do you have any? <laughs> I know I was, uh, I was searching. I really, truly was. Um, my only advice for anybody out there is to go, um, go visit the uh, the Violence Project. I think they're they're doing a lot of research in this area. Every psychologist who's been in this space has almost said the same thing, and I, I already said it to you, Raj, is that it's a very complex issue. There needs to be more research as an evidence based uh, solution uh, that needs to be created. There needs to be more more money, more time, more people focused on, on certain aspects of this. You got to look at the role of medications as they, as they play, uh, with the individuals that, um, kind of take on these, these horrible acts. Um, you need to look at the role of social isolation and, and when people are cut off from a, a network that can be there to support them. Uh, the only, strong indicators that there could be a solution is the fact that the leakage is out there though they often share their thoughts they share their plans with friends or family and especially in school shootings it's like close to 80 percent of the time they're leaking the information so are our politicians trying to um create a solution like that's because it's so complex the solutions that they're basically saying it's only gun control that's the only solution that we have they're using it for they're using it to to support more power on their end and to and to limit the freedoms of the individual that's there's no doubt i want to talk about my solutions to this so i think number one is don't think about this as your your government's going to save you you're gonna have to show me where in history that has ever happened don't think about it as a top-down approach. Think about it as you as a community. The community starts within your family and it extends wider. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Because if someone comes and they're actually leaking information and talking about plans, isn't, isn't the damage already done? I mean, that person is potentially yeah. um, in, in a, situa- a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. And that's, you go back to all the other things we've talked about, about resilience and the role of parenting. Yeah. That's how you prevent that, it. That person needs help. And that person then needs to be monitored. Now, who those people are, we need a psychological profile. How do we get a psychological profile? You investigate. And there is a lot of dollars and research. You make it, a, you make it an initiative to be able to develop. For, this is for law enforcement to develop a psychological profile on those individuals. You become, as a community, you... When those people are identified, there has to be a, a, a plan in place. 
okay, what are the risk factors? Is that person on uh, psychotropic medications, mind-altering drugs? Does this person exhibit violent or homicidal or suicidal tendencies? What is happening in that person's home environment? And what other uh, red flags exist as far as um, their, their social media profile? And those people become monitored and supported. Um, if we want to talk about common sense gun laws, we have to talk about, I mean, and that's going to do very little, very little, but there has to be some um, responsibility on, on that. And if, you, if you're going to buy a, a firearm, I do believe there are some common sense background checks that could exist in a community. And whether that's that's delays or we have some form of like if those people, if you've been psychiatric hospitalized, you've been violent before, you've been in prison, that not everyone has that automatic right. It's a responsibility. Right. It's a responsibility to be able to have a have a firearm. And um, nothing's going to change unless our culture change. One, we're unhealthy. So. We don't even know the role of metabolic health or other things in the development of psychiatric illnesses, conditions, or violence, but there's growing data around that. Um, the support systems that exist from a mental health perspective remain limited. We're a drug culture. So if you think about getting mental health support or treatment as just a drug, we're going to continue to see increased violence just by statistically, just we know that there are certain genes that make it difficult to metabolize these drugs. That has to be widespread information. That could cut down on, on a percentage. Our schools, unfortunately, have to be protected. And so we don't want to vilify law enforcement in the United States. We want good people to be in, in law enforcement. And if police officers were, they held that responsibility and we, had, we were able to have school resource officers and we were able to have um, a level of protection that's not intrusive or a level of security that's not intrusive, then our kids don't have to grow up in prisons with fear. And then with all that being said, there has to be a level of acceptance that there is evil that exists, that it's a dangerous world and it always has been. And you want to minimize it, you want to protect it, but you're not going to eliminate it completely because we're talking about the flaws of human beings. There's, there are people who, who murder and kill. There are sociopaths. And it's a, very, it's a very complicated line to draw between where do you begin to limit the freedoms of the individual because of fear of the few. And that's why I'm not in support of widespread restrictions on people's ability to protect themselves. And that's uniquely freedom. It comes with a responsibility. You know, that, that right does come with responsibilities in a way that if in any way you pose a threat to yourself or to the community, the community has a right to protect itself from you. And there should be laws in place and there should be mechanisms to protect them from those individuals but ultimately it comes down to developing that profile. And when it comes back to other aspects of culture, listen, love should definitely outweigh any hate. And if you 
become further divided in society, it's going to breed hate. And that's, that's, we didn't talk about social media and the divisiveness that exists, but when you, when you begin to develop an us versus them, an in-group and an out-group, you know that's going to fuel more violence. That's going to fuel aggression. Our politicians are not out for us. The moment you start believing that the politicians care about you as the individual is the moment you start being taken down a path where you're going to give up your, your rights with the belief that someone else is going to save you. This is a power grab. This is a power grab by our politicians who are going to try to uh, modify or even eliminate the Second Amendment right. And we're seeing it happen in, in, in Canada. It's the illusion of safety. You know, it's the same way of uh, when, when, you, when there's drugs that are illegal in the United States. That doesn't stop the flow of drugs into the United States. It increases it. It creates an entire market around it. And I, you know, I'm just not somebody who is going to believe that a, a politician who has a unique personality and a desire for power, who will have all those freedoms, those people, those lawmakers, they have personal protection. They're protected. And there's people around the country who, who have used firearms for sport, who have used firearms for protection, and who also you know, live in remote areas of the United States. The United States is large. And then in those remote areas, there's some people who use their firearms for, for food sources. And as, as you see around the world and as you reflect on history, that there are periods of time um, that your government can't save you, that you have to fend for yourself and you have to survive. And so it's, it's, it's the media, it's the divisiveness, it's, it's the government's use of this for political power and control and voters that I think further exacerbates the anger, the frustration, the in-group, out-group that is part of the problem and is not a, a solution, in my opinion. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.